We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm Alan Sislowski of Rotowire.com, and on this episode of the Rotowire Dynasty Fantasy Football Podcast, I have two guests. My first one is Theo Greminger at the OG Fantasy on Twitter. Theo, in addition to being part of the Goat District Dynasty podcast, is also head of podcasting at playerprofiler.com. Theo and I have a heated debate about running back rankings from a dynasty perspective. We talk about biggest mistakes that dynasty players make and have an overall interesting conversation about how the running back position should be treated in your dynasty leagues. Theo and I will be doing a podcast on the Player Profiler feed, which can be heard live on the Player Profiler YouTube channel on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. for the next few months in the offseason. Theo and I rigorously debate whether Bijan Robinson should be the first overall running back taken in Dynasty Leagues and what you value seasoned, proven veteran running backs that have age on them like Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb, Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon. After my conversation with Theo, stay tuned because I talked to Rotowire president Peter Shanky and we discuss regional sports networks, better known as RSNs. RSNs are how you watch your local teams for baseball, hockey, and basketball. There's a change to the model of RSNs, and the way you consume your local teams may change. It may be a $30 a month subscription to see the Mariners or the Knicks or whoever your, your local teams are. And as always, the Rotowire Dynasty Fantasy Football Podcast is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. And without further ado, Here's my Dynasty Fantasy Football conversation with Theo Greminger. All right, Theo, here, here's the question that everybody has when they're talking about rankings. Do, do, do rankings even matter? I mean, you know, if you're going to argue over two or three guys at the top of your Dynasty rankings, if, if you're at the point in a Dynasty startup draft that you're ready to take a running back, I mean, wh- why do we f- argue over who's number one, who's number two? Is it more tiers or is the ranking actually does matter? I think that the tiers matter more. Um, I think that there's there's certain foundational pieces you need to have a strong dynasty roster. And, you know, the rankings correlate somewhat to the tiers. But to me, it's it's tiers. Um, although I, I would rather have Bijan Robinson than, than pretty much any any running back in dynasty right now. Um, if you tell me it's a comparable player at the top, like a Ken Walker, it's it's somewhat the the same level of of asset, in my opinion. Right. So let let me ask you that. You know, there is 
there is a good argument that Bijan Robinson should be the number one guy in Dynasty. I mean, we did that with Zeke a few years ago, right? About six, seven years ago, there was an argument that Zeke Elliott was the number one uh, Dynasty running back when he was a rookie. And we did it with Barkley a little bit. When I say we, I mean, you know, there was uh, fantasy uh, people that are passionate about Dynasty talked about it. What are you seeing about Bijan Robinson? I mean, at least those arguments happened once they were landed. Bijan Robinson's not even landed yet. And yet, you know, I, I can't tell someone they're wrong for wanting to ele- elevate him to the, the top of the top tier. So what is it about him, in your judgment, that warrants that kind of consideration right now? I just think he's he's somewhat of a flawless prospect um, in terms of the size, the athleticism, the vision, the receiving ability, and the fact that he's only 21 years old. He's going to come into the league. He's going to play the season at 21 years old. I think that if if Brees Hall would have stayed healthy last year, you would have had a, a real argument at the top as to the as to the the you know the very top echelon of, of dynasty running backs. Um, in terms of startup value, I think Bijan Robinson's going to settle in in non super flex leagues. I think he's going to settle in as the third overall pick this summer when you're talking about the highest uh, money level dynasty leagues. So to me. Bijan really checks off all boxes as a player. And then when you take a step back and you bring up the fact that we don't have the landing spot, I think the kind of a little bit of the the shroud of mystery helps because you can't really poke holes in the situation. You can't poke holes in, in pretty much anything about him. And in Dynasty, we need to be paying attention to trade equity. Trade equity matters. You might say, hey, I would never trade this guy. But at the end of the day, you're getting more for Bijan Robinson, sight unseen right now, uh, landing spot averse than you are for Ken Walker or a Brees Hall or yeah. you know, and, and pretty much anybody. So, so to me, it's it's a fairly easy selection for him at the 101. Right? Like I could say, like, oh, Ken Walker's my number one guy, but if I go into the trade market in my particular league, there's going to be four or five people minimum that disagree with that and that will give me you know give you more value for robinson so if you're in at startup that makes sense and also i guess the case for robinson is not only you know you talked about his elite uh, prospect traits but also a lack of a definitive other option as the consensus rb1 like in past years you know it was like Le'Veon bell or jamal charles or david johnson like there was all guys that had a case there's really like a smattering. There's like, oh, this guy's Christian McCaffrey's too old, or Ken Walker doesn't catch passes, and Jonathan Taylor had a down year. So it, it also could be lack of other consensus options at this particular position. Yeah, it's kind of a perfect storm. You had this past season, you had only one first or second year guy finish as an RB1. And you could say, you know, there was some bad luck to that. Obviously, Brees Hall was headed in that direction. Ken Walker, if he would have received the kind of volume he did for the second half of the season, would have ended there. ETN had a weird stretch, but you have a a very kind of an older group of running backs that are producing the points where dynasty managers, there's obviously going to be some some red flags with taking on, you know, a 27 year old uh, with that sort of startup equity. So, like, yeah, I, I completely agree with you on that point. It's kind of a perfect storm for Bijan Robinson to come in at the right time. Like if Christian McCaffrey was 23 and a half instead of, you know, almost 27, this would be, we, we could have a hard conversation, but it's kind of a, despite the, 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 the fantastic production 
you do have to take into account tread on the tires, the age of the player. I mean, that kind of stuff really, really matters to us in, in Dynasty. I'm here with Theo Greminger, uh, does the Goat District podcast, uh, newly signed on to handle all the podcasting, head of podcasting at Player Profiler. And Theo is here to announce today that we, together, Theo, I, and Matt Kelly, the podfather, are going to relaunch the Sonic Truth podcast and all Dynasty podcasts, which will go live on the Player Profiler um, YouTube feed and all their other feeds on Tuesdays at 11, starting this week, right, Theo? Yeah, we're starting out this week. Um, I'm extremely excited about this. Uh, this is going to be an awesome, awesome thing to do with you and Matt. Uh, I think it's going to be one of the best di- Dynasty podcasts going. And it's a, it's truly an honor to be able to step into you know a, a podcast that really was one that was every week listening for me yeah, uh, when Matt and Nate were doing it. Um, so it's it's a uh, it's really exciting, and uh, I'm I'm super thrilled about the opportunity. Yeah, Sonic Truth is appointment listening for a lot of Dynasty players, and we'll put the link in the video description below. Uh, I'm here with Theo Greminger, and we're talking about Dynasty uh, running back rankings, and I think it's one of the the most interesting years for Dynasty running backs because of the uncertainty at the top. Uh, I don't think you know you really need us to tell you that in most non-superflex startups, you're going to take those two big receivers first, and then the conversation. When I Jefferson and Chase, and then at least the conversation begins at pick three for a running back versus whatever receiver you have there. Would you agree with that as a general statement in, in single quarterback? Yes, because I do think that there is some uncertainty at wide receiver three overall. Um, you know, you might pick 10 guys that you think are very sharp at Dynasty, and they might all have different opinions of that wide receiver three. So well, I think let's, let's illustrate that point. Like, who would be your wide receiver three if I'm making you pick right now? If you're making me pick right now, it's probably C.D. Lamb. Right, and I would have Amon Ross St. Brown there, right? Look, we're two guys that, that play a lot of Dynasty, you know? we yeah. we So there you go. You know, you might have Amon Ross seven spots lower. I have Lamb, you know, so that just illustrates your point. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of indecision there. Then you also have the fact that the tight end position, there's nobody that really stands out. You can't, you know, a year ago, people were taking Kyle Pitts that highly, but now there's obviously a, a ton of red flags with that. Travis Kelsey's a little, old, you know, obviously too old to take there. So there's no no tight end that you would put that kind of equity into. Um, so it really comes down to wide receiver versus running back. And you bring up Amon Ross St. Brown, you can make an argument against him. CeeDee Lamb, you can make an argument against him. Jalen Waddle, you can make an argument against him. A.J. Brown, an argument against him for, for spending that kind of dynasty startup capital. So for me, my dynasty startup 103 is Bijan Robinson. If you're a Ken Walker guy, though, Ken Walker can be, can be the dynasty startup uh, num- number three overall. Uh, it just kind of pick your poison um, with which way do you want to go or – you know, try your best to train up to the top two because uh, those wide receivers are pretty good. Yeah, no, that that's what it seems like. There's a tier of two, and in superflex, you know, they'll depending on how you look at the quarterback position, there might be six or seven quarterbacks. I, I think that you know everything in the first round looks good, depending on you know what you're comfortable with from an injury risk. Um, you know, we had our our, our friend Crackshot in the chat to say Javante Williams is the RB one as soon as he heals up. You know, he's actually on my list to ask you about Javante Williams. I. I think he's in real trouble here for Dynasty, uh, Theo Greminger. And it's not just because, well, it is the injury, right? It's like it's, he's almost a, a virtual lock not to be himself, even if he plays week one uh, for the month of September. 
Uh, we saw what happened with J.K. Dobbins last year. Where the whole year was basically a bust, and that's another year. And you got to think it's reasonable thought process to think that Denver is going to add a significant backfield mate for, uh, you know, for for Javante, whether that's an Alexander Madison or Miles Sanders or David Montgomery, whoever it is. So where are you going to be on the dynasty value of Javante? So I was in a FFWC uh, kind of experts best ball draft. And redraft. I was in a draft, redraft. But I think there is definitely, we have to look at the redraft rankings in correlation here with the dynasty as well. Bijan Robinson, uh, shout out to Johannes uh, in, in the chat. I see Javante as a sell. I kind of agree with her there because Javante, you're seeing going in the fifth, sixth, seventh round, depending on the format. Javante, you bring up the fact that he won't be available for week one. I, I think that's a pretty good bet. Um, I, I think that I wear a lot less uh, certain at his availability than than Brees Hall. If we were betting on who's going to be back first, I think it's a, a better bet to bet on Brees Hall. You also had a lack of elite production from Javante Williams. Javante Williams didn't really – we didn't really see it. Obviously, you know, we can criticize the, the previous Denver coaching staff, and, and obviously the usage for Javante was – very confusing to start the year. I believe in the talent for Javante Williams, but I think that treating him as a truly elite prospect, like a like a Bijan Robinson or a Ken Walker, is, is the wrong wrong way to go about it. Uh, I would actually be more apt to acquire Javante Williams if I was in a rebuild mode, where this season didn't matter to me as much. I would be that would be the kind of team that I'd want to take Javante Williams on. If you are a dynasty contender right now and you love your roster, I would try to move Javante. I think you could do it two ways. I think you could use Javante in a package deal to get one of the running backs that Alan and I are discussing. You know, use him as a as a piece to go get a Ken Walker to, uh, to go get, or you could use him as a, hey, do you want your team to get younger and take on, try to take on a Christian McCaffrey and Austin Eckler, a guy that we really believe in the production this year, that might be a little bit older. So Javante to me is kind of on an Island. Uh, you've got to have him somewhere in your top 15 running backs for dynasty rankings, but it's, it's would be really hard for me to, to put him in a truly, truly elite tier. And I guess the best way to illustrate that point about Javante Williams is over the next two seasons, who's going to score. If you have to make a bet on this, Theo, who's going to score more fantasy points this season and next season, Javante Williams or 27 year old Nick Chubb through the next t two seasons. Who's going to score more fantasy points? I, Chubb's a great name to bring up. I think Chubb is, is a guy that's a little bit underrated uh, in Dynasty right now, and, and I, would bet, I would bet a lot of money that it's going to be Nick Chubb. Right, but the Dynasty market is going to have that completely the opposite. You could trade Javante Williams and get Nick Chubb and some draft capital for that. Like that's, I just think that is, um, as an industry, we're okay at predicting what's going to happen right in front of us. We're terrible at predicting what's going to happen two seasons and three seasons out. That's why, and I don't think this is an original thought, but it's certainly the way that I go about Dynasty, is I like to play in one- to two-year windows, maybe three-year windows when you're talking about the two big receivers or the quarterbacks or three- to four windows. Other than that, just play it like it's redraft, but obviously you have to keep other factors in mind. Yeah, I think that's a great way of looking at things. I would say with the running back position, I would almost go with a two-year window. Max, the, the turnover at the position is is so strong, um, and this year especially, we we're going to see a lot of turnover in the free agent market. 
We're also going to see a ton of running backs get drafted on day one and day two. I think all you need to do is go back a year and look at kind of startup values. And you'll say, whoa, look where this guy was going. We'll look where this guy was going. You know, Leonard Fournette was an interesting pick in Dynasty Startups last year. Now, good luck getting a second rounder for him. Oh, yeah. uh, so it's it's a it's a fickle marketplace for running backs, but I think that Allen's spot on with the two year window. Yeah, it's funny because uh, Leonard Fournette it just in a in an underdog best ball the other day went in the eleventh or twelfth round. I mean, he's sure to land somewhere where the value is better than that. I mean, even if he's in a a committee, like I'm just trying to think of like a a very like less than average situation for him. Let's say that he ends up going to uh, be uh, backfield mates with Derrick Henry. I would still think that he's bound to return more value than that. Or if he, if he's the guy that uh, the chargers get to finally have a second running back with Austin Eckler, no matter what, he's going to have more value than that. And certainly uh, it'll be, like you said, you, you probably even can't get any, you have to wait till he signs. And just talking about underdog fantasy. If you know the 2022 NFL season's over, but fantasy football never stops at underdog fantasy the easiest place to play fantasy football right now you can draft an underdog big board tournament with a one million dollars in total prizes two hundred thousand to first place you think you know the incoming rookie boards will burst under the scene in 2023 if so now's your chance to draft them at a value all you have, well, maybe not now that the combine already happened but all you have to do is join the big board draft your fantasy team and that's it there's in best ball as you know there's no waivers no trades all you have to do is just Draft it, set it, and forget it. Right now, you can get double your deposit using the code RWNFL. Go sign up. There's also a link in the video description below. All right, now that we paid some bills there, uh, we're continuing on talking about our dynasty running backs. Yesterday, um, I commented on um, an interesting tweet you you talked about, and you're you like Tony Pollard uh, in redraft going, you know, on that two three turn in dynasty. He's around the RB twelve now. I'll just make the I'm interested in the argument for him other than, you know, he's a good player. I'm just saying it's not a great situation. So why are you so bullish? And not when I say you, there's a, there's a lot of people for good reason that are, I guess are on Tony Pollard. But given the fact that he's probably facing a three month recovery from the fractured tibula and also that Zeke is going to be there. What, why should people um, thinking of Tony Pollard as a top 12 running back in Dynasty? So I think he's right on that RB1 uh, borderline for Dynasty. But in terms for redraft, I believe he's going to be available for week one. And I think that he is I, I think that he is a very interesting case because the tread on the tires is not there. You bring up Zeke Elliott. Zeke Elliott has been kind of a, a boon for Tony Pollard's long-term value where he's going to be 26 years old to start the season but he could be headed to more of an Austin Eckler type trajectory with his career uh, where Eckler had the, the, the benefit, the long-term benefit of having Melvin Gordon around where there was, you know, less, less like massive volume, less risk of injury. You bring up the injury for Pollard. It was, it was unfortunate. uh, And the timing certainly didn't help the fact that it was in the playoffs, but I think in the overall tread on the tires, and the fact that they're willing to spend the franchise tag on him in Dallas, uh, the, them doing that and not using it on Dalton Schultz, who is a big part of their offense and uh, a constant weapon for Dak Prescott, I think speaks volumes as to how worried Dallas would be about the injury. This particular season, I think if, if they were very worried about Pollard 
I think that they would have multiple options where they could have moved on to uh, this very deep free agent class. They also could have just simply drafted a running back on on day two where there's going to be a lot of them. Uh, They were linked to B. John Robinson uh, for a while. Uh, That seemed like a very Jerry Jones-like move to, you know, spend whatever he needed to get the in-state prospect. I don't think they're going to go about that uh, direction. I think it's going to be Tony Pollard. And you bring up Zeke Elliott. Zeke Elliott looked like he was running with a piano on his back uh, to end the season. He looked so bad in the playoffs. I think it's more of a, this is a guy that's been loyal to the franchise. This is Jerry Jones's guy. We're going to have him finish his career, hopefully, as a Dallas Cowboy. He's going to take some sort of a team-friendly deal. Uh, and this is going to be the Tony Pollard show. So I'm I'm very bullish on Pollard. My 2-3 turn uh, was a prediction for him. So, you know, an underdog, I don't have the, the current ADP in front of me, but it was lower. I know in FFPC where, where I was playing, you were getting him lower. Uh, I drafted him once um, at the 3-4 the turn, which I, I like that value for him. I'm looking it up as we're talking. So, but yeah, I yeah. think you're right. I think that's right around where he's going. The, so, in the fourth round, he, he's not making it into the fifth round. He's just yeah. not. Yeah, He's just not. And I do think that that's just going to be a, that'll be a popular way to start drafts this year. Because I think we bring up the the dynasty uh, startup value. The, I think that those same two guys, Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, are going to be, when it's said and done, the one-two in redraft. I think it's going to go wide receiver, wide receiver this year. I think that's the way things are headed. There'll be some Christian McCaffrey people at the top, as always. But I think most drafts are going to have one of those wide receivers. So I think a very popular start will be Justin Jefferson, followed by most likely a, a Tony Pollard or a running back like him start out with your RB one at that two, three turn. So I think kind of that's where he's headed and there's a chance he could go a little bit higher because if he comes back um, and there, the, the health is not a concern, Pollard could have a really, really big year. Um, I think that he's the kind of guy that could challenge for RB one overall numbers. Um, you know, we've seen the explosiveness, we've seen the receiving ability, Uh, I think that the change in coordinators is not going to be a threat to him. I think Schottenheimer uh, has found a way to, I mean, as unexcited as we are about Schottenheimer being the Dallas coordinator and Mike McCarthy taking on a larger role, I think we can bet on them featuring the running back. Mike McCarthy has, has said time and time again to his own detriment, how much he wants to pound the rock. He wants to feature the running back. Um, So I, I would bet big on Pollard this year. And I think the, the franchise tag, it's not great for the, for the long-term dynasty value. Um, but I think it is a, a, it certainly shows the confidence Dallas has in him, at least for this year. And I think he's a good enough player that he could earn a long-term contract next year. Yeah. The franchise tag, they only used it because he was injured, right? They're not, they don't, they can do a wait and see. They probably would, if he was healthy and had the type of playoffs, he would have, they, he would be getting uh, a three-year deal. That's really a two-year deal. I mean, he's in that window and most dynasty running backs, especially when you get into like the age 26, 27, 20, they're all one-year deals anyway. You know, it's like, they're basically, you know, uh, mercenaries, right? Dalvin yep. Cook and, you know, then obviously Melvin Gordon, those types. I mean, he's even older now. Um, Alvin Kamara is heading that stage. Derrick Henry, well, I mean, he might be the outlier, the exception. But, yeah, once they get there. Um, so I want to talk about basic dynasty strategy here with running backs because it's a tried and true uh, dynasty strategy that, that a lot of people swear by is get those young wide receivers, you know, pay the inflated prices early, and then just fill in with the running backs. But – 
you know, yes, sure. Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase, they do have elite value, insulated uh, trade value, actual value, all those things. But there's never, my argument is always that it's a strategy to go after a few elite young running backs early, especially since the prices are falling as everyone goes for the, uh, the wide receivers, because the minute the draft's over, they have the reverse effect of buying a car, right? When you buy a car, you drive it off the lot, it depreciates by what, 15, 20% the minute you drive it off. Running backs, 20-year-old, 22-year-old running backs appreciate in value the minute the startup's over. You can literally get more for what they're worth. So I'm not saying, because listen, you're in, how many how many dynasty leagues are you in, Theo? I, I couldn't even tell you a, a lot. I have a, <laughs> I have a I, you know, you're going to mute this out. Um, it, shout out to the IRS. I would, I would not uh, reveal how, mu- how much. All right. I, you know, Enough said. <laughs> well, I'm in 38 leagues. I'm trying to shed a few actually. Um, so you can't spend time, but I'm just talking about in principle, most sane people, sober people are in, you know, they're five or 10 or even 12 dynasty leagues, but you know, what? drop in the comments, how many leagues you're in or how many you're going to be in this year. But uh, I think that that's the reason. And that's the argument because try trading for a 22 year old running back in dynasty, just in an established league. Good luck. It's it's not going to happen. Yeah. I think that that's a great point. Um, certainly these younger running backs, especially if you're talking about pre-NFL draft, if you're in a startup right now, these guys like Roshan Johnson, uh, like Devin A. Chain, uh, like Zach Charbonnet, these guys could gain a ton of value based on you know where they're drafted. And I do think that this is a year where a lot of these guys are going to get drafted in the second round. I think a lot of people are on you know a number of these guys being drafted in the third round. But I think when it's all said and done, uh, the Bijan factor is going to be kind of like a gravitational pull where Bijan's going to go a little bit higher than we think. It's going to have Jameer Gibbs go a little bit higher than we think. So I think a number of these teams are going to go after and try to get their running backs in that early, that mid-second. And I think you'll see a ton of these guys go from the mid-second to the early third. Uh, so, yes, drafting these these younger running backs, no one really gains more dynasty value than a young running back that flashes. You know, you're talking about a guy that you might be able to trade for, like a Ken Walker. A year ago, people were being critical of him as the 102 in a lot of these leagues. I think a lot of a lot of players took him at the 102. Uh, they received some criticism for that, especially with all the wide receivers behind him. Right now, you could trade Ken Walker for Garrett Wilson plus. You could trade him for Chris Olave plus. I mean, basically, he's getting you multiple first round pick uh, equity. Um, and I think that there's a couple of these running backs that could do so like a Jameer Gibbs, Jameer Gibbs might be a guy that a year from now is worth exponentially more in dynasty than you'd have to spend on him in a, in a startup right now. Bichon's kind of already priced where he's at, but it's when you look at the, the running backs like Gibbs and the next few, those are the guys that could really, really gain a lot of value. And there's going to be a, this year's Damian Pierce. There's going to be a running back that we like that goes in the early fourth round that basically has a clear runway to a job. And that guy is, you know, everyone's going to argue draft capital versus situation. And in running backs, I mean, situation really is all that matters because if you're thinking about a player in a two-year window for a running back, especially, you know, when you're not talking about the top of the draft, if you're sitting at, you know, in your rookie draft at pick 10, or if you have like a mid-round two pick, I mean, Damian Pierce last year, you you it wasn't uncommon to see him go at 112 or 
two six. Like it happened a lot of a lot of variation on his ADP within that that window there. So yeah, I, I think that the the best thing, like we can we get excited about some of these rookies as far as this guy ran a four five four, this guy ran a four three three. At the end of the day, I have found that the order they're drafted in, I guess that means draft capital, is literally the most important thing when at least sorting out your first set of rankings. Yeah, I think that you have to look at draft capital. Um, I think that that does matter a great deal. Certain times certain times you want to look at a landing spot. No, yes, especially that- when it's a clean, when it's a clean, clean profile guy. Uh, like if somebody gets drafted ahead of Jameer Gibbs. But Jameer Gibbs goes, you know, 10 spots behind him. But, you, you know, we like the landing spot. You can't overthink that one. I agree. Um, but, yeah, I think that your your Damian Pierce uh, example was a great one. I think Rashad White is another one where Rashad White, a lot of people got him in second round of dynasty drafts last year. Now Leonard Fournette's out of the way. Uh, he's a guy that you could easily get a first rounder for, a back end first rounder for right now if you wanted to sell. Uh, it happens every single year. Um, Tyler Algier, another one. Algier, you know, ended the year so well, uh, you gained a ton of of value in him uh, based on where you took him last year. Yeah, the other one is Isaiah Pacheco, which and if you do a lot of rookie drafts like we do, he was maybe being drafted in the fourth or fifth round, probably fifth round of rookie drafts. And then, you know, I saw some crazies reach up into the first round for him. We all mocked it, but it's not looking too bad now, especially since the Chiefs have openly said there there's teams that are looking to trade for Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Not that he was a threat too much, but hey, it just it's a boon to the confidence that the Chiefs had in uh, Isaiah Pacheco. Uh, what do you think the biggest mistake that even experienced uh, dynasty players make when it comes to the running back position in our existing leagues at startups? What are some common errors we should look out for? I think one of the most common errors is paying for last year's points. I think that you have to tread on the tire matters and what a team did last year stylistically is not necessarily what they're going to do this year stylistically. An, an easy way to think about it is last year's price is not this year's price. Mm. A guy like Josh Jacobs um, who I think, you know, it would be disingenuous if we didn't put him in the top 12 for, for dynasty rankings based on his age and what he did last season and the fact that he's back in the same team situation. However, you look at the sort of volume he had last year, that that should scare you a little bit. If, now, if you can get Josh Jacobs for a reasonable price, by all means, go ahead and do it. But the tra- what's a reasonable what's a reasonable price? For him, but, I would have him more towards a back-end RB1 price. So depending on your format, um, your format would matter too. So like when we talk about Dynasty, there's there's different roster size leagues. Like I play a lot of FFPC Dynasty. Um, if you're a classic Dynasty player where you're playing, you know, in Sleeper or, or MFL and your roster size might be like 35 spots, um, it's a little different. And just to let everyone know that the FFP PC format is, uh, and just correct me if I'm wrong, but you basically keep 14 guys. It's like a insane keeper league more than it is like a dynasty league. And then you have to cut 12 or 16 or whatever. It's something like that. So right. Third round picks aren't as, rookie picks aren't as valuable. So you really need those first and second round guys. If you're going to keep them to, to hit. And obviously Josh Jacobs would be above that, that cut line of keeping. So you don't want to, 
you have to be the, the draft picks become different in these sleeper leagues, MFL leagues, where you have 30 man rosters plus a 10 person taxi squad. Those third round picks, if you if you collect those, right, those add up, those mean something because you can hold the Josh Palmer for multiple years or you can hold David Bell in FFPC. You cannot hold the David Bell. Yeah, you're you're right about that. It's it's every year, no matter how uh, conf- how confident you are in your trading skills, uh, in your roster management skills in FFPC, you end up cutting somebody you're you're a little bit uncomfortable cutting. Um, but yeah, Josh Jacobs. So to put a price tag on him in an FFPC, I would much rather have the 102 or the 103 than Josh Jacobs. When you get down to like the 104. I think then you can have a conversation based on where you're at this year um, versus, you know, where you're at long-term going and getting the money matters. The idea for dynasty is not just to have like an attractive roster full of like young, exciting guys. At some point you really need to cash a check, especially when you're putting in big entry fees. Yeah. Uh, so I, I would say it's, it's roster specific. Um, but for me, if I was a team that was somewhat rebuilding, I wouldn't want a piece of Josh Jacobs. I would be looking to sell and kind of get out. We don't have, you know, a whole lot of confidence in terms of, you know, the long-term, uh, long-term uh, Las Vegas Raiders uh, strategy. I don't think that they necessarily do. Um, they they had an opportunity to get Josh Jacobs at a long-term contract last year Decline. and certainly spend mm-hmm. less money. And now they're they're franchise tagging him and and spending a ton. So I, I don't know. It's it, I, I, with a one-year window, though, I would love to have Josh Jacobs. Right, right. Yeah, I, I think uh, last year I would. Uh, I made a trade for him. You know, oh no, I traded him away for when I was on the clock for Chris Olave. So that guy won the trade that year. But obviously, you know, in a, a, that's like a classic rebuild versus win now team, right? I mean, Olave for Josh Jacobs. It seems now you would obviously take the Olave side of that. But last year, before Olave put in a snap of football. It was an interesting trade. I had this a similar situation last year on a team that was going for the money and ended up winning some money. Uh, it was I moved Drake London to get Josh Jacobs straight up in an FFPC league. Uh, so that's the kind of trade that could really, really hurt me for the next you know four or five years. But again, you got to go get the money sometimes yeah. in the dynasty yeah. or, or what are we doing? I think the biggest mistake that uh, that people make also is. Oh, we, you know, is that perpetual rebuild? And also you said it, I, I have actually have a, a diagnose um, name for it. It's called sexy roster syndrome when they just load up their, their roster with picks and with young players, unproven guys. And, oh man, just look at that. And, you know, people call it roster baiting, all that stuff. But yeah, the sexy roster syndrome really is one of the biggest mistakes. And people are in a perpetual rebuild. The minute somebody's worth or gains dynasty value, they want to sell. It's like, wait a second. You know, sometimes it's okay to like just hold the guy and 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 win. There was a poll on Twitter. I reference it all the time on this podcast, and uh, it was, "What is your favorite part about Dynasty Fantasy Football?" And only about, even though it was the first place, only about thirty five percent of people said winning. Theo, yeah, it, another thirty percent said like trading. Another people said collecting rookie picks. I mean, so basically, you go into any given year in your Dynasty League, there's only like four people. You're not competing against eleven other people. You're competing against four people, five people max. Everyone else by week three, they're two and three or week five. They're like, ah, they're, I'm, I'm out. 
So that's why I think that, you know, you have an 8% chance, right? What is it? If, uh, it's about an 8% chance to win your league, something like that. Yeah, it's a 12 team. But in Dynasty, it's, if you're going for it, you're only competing against a few others. Um, should always go for it, is my point. It's a, it's, a great, it's a great point. And I think we might have a philosophical difference on, um, you know, whether a productive <laughs> struggle could, could win. Um, certainly, you, you've seen some, I've seen some very successful players utilize the productive struggle. But mm-hmm. yeah, you make, a, you make a great, great point on that, where you draft a redraft league, you know, your home league, you have 12 people going for it when they draft. A dynasty startup a number of teams are going to kind of eliminate themselves from the start based on their startup strategy. This, I mean, it's become such a popular startup strategy to trade down and get future first or to trade down and maybe be able to, to accumulate more young assets. So you can already tell if you're starting to startup, you might be competing against, you know, seven people. Then a few teams get off to a slow start and don't want to kind of work to get themselves back into the championship mix. So like you said, you're basically playing a four man league um, in FFPC, it's a it's a six team playoffs. When you get into it, two teams get a buy, but of those four teams that are competing, um, you know, to kind of get to week two, maybe even two of them have a strong enough roster in, in terms of being able to challenge for the top spot. So it's uh it's an interesting dynamic, and yeah, there's a lot of people who are continually trying to add that new hot thing. Uh, instead of kind of banking the points from a sure thing. Well, what you referenced a moment ago was um, we were, we had a discussion, brief discussion. I'm sure we'll discuss it more in Sonic Truth. Is that productive struggle? Is it good? Is it you know? Is it win now versus win never? And I'm I agree with you that productive struggle. If you could stay disciplined and actually execute the strategy, and just briefly for those who are unfamiliar with it, it's it's basically punting year one in a startup for to build your roster over the next few years, right? And the idea is that you're going to draft young players that have a little bit more staying power um, and, and forego some of the proven Nick Chubb, Derrick Henry types. But the reason I say it's win never, I, jokingly, because most people aren't disciplined. Most yeah. people, they, the minute Amon Ross St. Brown has that little four, eight-week stretch, they want to sell them for a first. Now, obviously, Amon Ross St. Brown would probably be worth way more than that. I saw him traded in a lot of competitive dynasty leagues, dynasty leagues for a just a single first, 106, 108, something like that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. He would be worth way more now. So it's, again, just to, I, we don't disagree. We do agree that productive struggle can work. I just believe that nine out of 10 people that say they want to do it don't have the stones or the stomach to stick with it. I think that that's a productive struggle is something we'll talk about on the Sonic Truth podcast a lot. I think that there's one mistake that people make is, and I don't want to turn this into a productive struggle show, Alan, because we could talk two hours. (laughs) I think one mistake people make is, hey, I really need to get draft picks for next year. And yes, draft picks for next year are a big part of it. But I think that those drafting rookies as part of your productive struggle, especially when you know the landing spot, like for instance, last year, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, those kind of guys were very attainable in dynasty startups. Right now you'd have those two guys as wide receiver ones in dynasty. Uh, so it's it, a productive struggle. Your team can flip a lot quicker than some people think. I think a lot of people have like this three year idea where they keep accumulating draft picks and then they need to land it. Um, and I think that's kind of the, the wrong way of doing so. Yeah. So th- in theory, we agree, but I'm just saying is even experienced dynasty players muck up uh, productive struggle because one, they think they know what it is. And it's, it, there's a very specific, very sh- like needle. You need the thread here in order to pull it off. But I agree. It's got, it's got the upside. Um, for the podcast listening audience, we're going to break right here. Stick with us through the break because when we come back, we're going to talk about a couple of players that are sure to rise in dynasty value over the next 18 months. All right, and we're back. I'm here with Theo Greminger at the OG Fantasy. You should follow him as I do on Twitter. One of the best followers, I think. A good mix of analysis. Of uh, I always think your opinion's interesting. I first, uh, you know, became aware of you when you were doing Matt Kelly's uh, podcast, and right away, I was. Uh, I thought your episode uh, was one of the best of the year. Uh, I'm glad that you and I are going to be working together over the next four months uh, or so doing the Sonic Truth podcast, which is going to air on uh, live on the player pro- profiler feed uh, uh, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern time. You can catch the replay and then it will be in the player profiler uh, podcast feed as well. And we're here talking about running back rankings for dynasty. So, all right, you know, it's fun to debate the top 10, the top 12. I think that if we just put them in a snow globe and shake them up, we would mostly agree on at least 90% of them. But I want to talk about the players that nobody wants that are going to be popular redraft picks. Okay. We're going to talk about, uh, you know, Dalvin cook, Aaron Jones, uh, Derek Henry. And I always find that interesting, the gap in the dynasty ranking versus the redraft ranking that group as a whole. And you can include, include whoever you think are in there. So first identify that, that stinky cheese group right there. And how do you treat them in dynasty? Do you want those guys? Or are you just actively trying to get rid of them? 
older running backs, stinky cheese running backs. I, I do want some of the older running backs when my, I think my team is good. Uh, if I have a top six roster, I'm much more likely to take those guys on. Um, at, at some point, you've got to say, my team is not good enough to win this season, even if things go really well. And even though I think a guy like Aaron Jones has two years left, maybe more, uh, taking him on would be difficult. I also don't want to pay for the top end of those older running backs. Um, I would rather take a guy that's a, a little bit beat up, maybe has a little more question marks about his situation because I believe in the talent and I believe in his ability to score fantasy points. Aaron Jones is a great name to bring up. Aaron Jones has been, what is this now, three straight seasons of RB1 production. Uh, he's got an RB2 overall in that mix. Uh, and the last two years has just been great. He, I think that early in the season, and I like to look at underdog, I like to look at, at FFPC uh, in terms of the best ball rankings to kind of see where the market's at on guys. Uh, Aaron Jones was severely beat up in the early ADP because people were worried about you know him not being a Packer. They're obviously worried about the Aaron Rodgers situation, but I think Aaron Jones is a good enough player that he's going to score points no matter who the quarterback is of Green Bay. Uh, so Aaron Jones would be a guy that I, if I, if I'm a contender, I would definitely kick the tires on Aaron Jones. I yeah. don't. I'll say a couple of the other names. I do worry about cut candidate running backs, mm. like a guy like Dalvin Cook, a guy like Joe Mixon. These guys that I think could be cut. You're taking a little bit of a risk, a, a lot of a risk in certain situations, uh, to go get those guys because the situation could change and it could change very quickly. Those guys could end up in more of a committee situation uh, than we think. Despite their production, I would have a little bit of uh, trepidation taking them. So I don't mind taking an older running back when I know the team situation um, more than than a guy where I'm worried about them getting cut. I get asked that question often on the Roadwire um, message boards and the YouTube comments. And my answer is this, is that it depends on the time of the year to buy them. Like I would rather buy um, Aaron Jones for like a, a first when we get into the playoffs, like in that, that trade deadline for dynasty, yeah. than pay like 2.1 right now. Right. I, even though it's a discount right now, I'd rather wait until I actually need him and I know he's producing. So I think that, it's okay to I mean, the best time to sell a player like that. If you are in rebuild mode is in the season after they have a big game, everybody knows that. Um, but I think it's also the right time to buy guys like that. So say you're in an established league and everybody needs running backs, right? We already talked about at the top of this podcast that buying 22 year old running backs, it's impossible. Buying Najee Harris is hard, right? I mean, you know, he would buying be Najee Harris is not as hard as you think. I think it's, 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 uh, it's manager dependent with Najee. Yeah. Some no, I mean, yeah. I, I he's tradable. That's really yeah. where I was going, but it's not like easy. It's not like buying Kareem Hunt. Yes. Right. Yes. You know what I'm saying? And th that's my point is that you, you have to wait till these guys are a little bit more. You, you can't buy the 22 year olds and everyone needs running back. So the, the best way to do it is cheap because we just agreed that running backs, no matter what age they are, is most likely best in two year windows. We just don't know. Even Ken Walker. Two years from now, we we think we he's still going to be this nice stud, twenty four year old running back. But who knows what they add through the draft? Injuries happen. So if you're going to buy um, running backs because everybody needs them, I think it's okay to wait until the season because of course you don't need to set your lineup right now. And everyone just needs. Oh, I need an RB two. 
I need an RB2, you know? So I think that's the best strategy when it comes to those vets. I love those type of guys. Um, you know, last year I acquired the Leonard Fournettes and, you know, because I'm – they're, they're cheap. Frankly, they're cheap. And, you know, people just, they do not want them on their roster. I mean, it, it's a um, fr- friend of this podcast. I know he was just on the player profiler one, Jordan McNamara. He always talks about like, what do you care about the price of your house if you're going to live in it? So if you're going to have, what do you care what Leonard, uh, what, you know, older running back is worth if you're just going to use him in your lineup anyway. So that's, that's how I, I think that, that, yeah. And Jordan McNamara is a very sharp guy in terms of his, his dynasty strategy. Um, I think two things you said were, were, were really sharp there. Trade timing in, in Dynasty is underrated. Even if you waited, you know, five weeks into your the start of the season, uh, a few of these managers are going to start out one and four, and they would rather do a quick rebuild uh, than really try to put the work in to try to get their team back back into it. So I think you have opportunities to buy older running backs in season um, where you're going to pay a little less. And then I do think also the Jordan McNamara, he, you know, he, I'll give him a hat tip. He's been on Josh Jacobs a little longer than the community. Um, when Josh Jacobs was a little bit beat up, uh, he's he was talking and singing his praises. So Josh Jacobs is a, is a great example of this. I think that certain guys, people talk about just being a sell and then people kind of the echo chamber starts repeating itself, um, whether it's for age, you know, whether it's for a lack of kind of a, a sexy production or a sexy name, but the age apex is something where a lot of dynasty players kind of just get programmed for better or for worse. That once my running back gets to be 25, 26 years old, I'm looking to pivot. So certain, if you play in long-term dynasty leagues, you can kind of pick up on these managers that do this. Mm. Um, and you trade with trade timing, you know, with respect to it, certain guys are going to want to want to sell, you know, when these guys get to a certain age. So the age apex, I think this last season showed the issues with it. You know, we brought up the fact that the older running backs were the ones that are putting up points this year. I think that there's an argument being made that it was like two draft classes that were just so good mm-hmm. uh, that, that we've seen these, these classes kind of last a little longer in their career. But even this year, um, you know, when we talk about it right now, the two top drafted running backs on underdog fantasy are Christian McCaffrey and Austin Eckler. You know, those guys are going to play the season at 27 plus. So uh, I think you have you have some some great points on on all those things, Alan. Couple other guys I want to just ask you about because uh, I can't decide. I, I help out with the dynasty rankings. I used to do the Superflex rankings on Rotowire. There's some guys that could really dedicate full time to it. So I just come in and you know add a little flavor here and there. And I, I can't decide what to do with Antonio Gibson. Right. I mean, there was a time where we were ranking him as a top 10 running back in Dynasty. And now I, I can't really find him in like the top 20 in anyone's ranking. And sometimes he's like RB 28. I understand both sides of it. So where's player profiler going to be on Antonio Gibson? And what do you think if he's on your roster? Should Is he a, is he a buy? Is he someone that you should try to move off if somebody is interested in him? How you handle him? Well, it's a very frustrating situation with Antonio Gibson because he had a nice fantasy production for back-to-back seasons of almost 15 points per game in fantasy. Then the, the Brian Robinson draft pick happens and the Washington coaching staff, you know, referred to him as a returner. I mean, it was about as bad as it gets, but when he had opportunities last year, he produced. 
he does certain things that turn off NFL coaches, like fumble the football in, in untimely times. But he, as, a, as a fantasy producer, he can certainly do well. I'm actually hopeful that Antonio Gibson is, is not on Washington this coming season. I think a change of pace for Antonio Gibson could really help his career. I can't sit here and, and recommend you go and add Antonio Gibson shares right now. If you can get him for cheap, go ahead and do it. But I do feel like there's, there are some worries there um, in terms of his long-term value and in terms of obviously his landing spot for next year. I saw him traded for 2.7 in in a, in a dynasty league that I'm in right now. Do you think that's expensive? Is that the right price? In a super flex 2.7 rookie draft. Super flex, I think I'd prefer the 2.7 right now. As, okay. as productive as, as Gibson has been, I just think that at the end of the day, that 207, not to get too into the, the rookies right now, but uh, these guys like like Tajay Spears, mm-hmm. like Roshan Johnson, like Zach Charbonnet, like Devin A. Chain in a in a super flex league are gonna get can get pushed into that mid-second. There's gonna be some mid-second running backs in super flex this year that you're really, really gonna want. Um, but it's not a it's not a horrible, it's not a horrible trade. I've seen right. more. And also, right in the middle of the second round, there's always a fir- uh, a wide receiver that gets drafted in the first round that no one believes should be a first-round wide receiver, so they get pushed out. It was Brandon Ayuk one year. It was Kadarius Toney the next year, right? I mean, it's, Dawson. Both, right. Uh, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Amon Ross St. Brown was, like, two, pick 210 in his draft yeah. class, right? Like, in the rookie draft. So, yeah. All right. Um, Remember, a couple housekeeping notes here. If Right now, you could check out Rotowire, uh, unlock the paywall for free. Just go to rotowire.com forward slash pod and just put in your email. That'll get you all of our premium dynasty content, baseball, if you're into baseball, everything behind there. Just no credit card to put in. You could do that right now. Uh, I want you to follow Theo, as I do, at the OG Fantasy. And Theo, just very briefly, tell everyone what you're now doing over at Player Profiler. If they want to follow you, if they want to check out your content like I do, um, what are what are going to be your main responsibilities and, and work that you're promoting right now? So I write the waiver wire column in season. I also will have at least one more uh, one more article a week in season. Right now, I'm I'm expect about one to two articles a week from me uh, in the off season. I'm the senior fantasy analyst, and I'm also uh, the head of podcasting. So I'm doing a podcast with Alan and also Matt Kelly, the Podfather, a dynasty podcast. I'm doing a high stakes podcast called First Class Fantasy uh, with Billy Muzio. Um, another, you know, super, super sharp guy. Uh, we've competed against each other uh, in high stakes. We've we've split some teams in high stakes redraft. So that's going to be a really fun uh, podcast. And then I have another solo podcast that's going to be in the works in April. You can also find me in the Goat District podcast, an independent podcast. Um, we're, we're putting out a, a tremendous amount of content over there. But yeah, mostly find me at Player Profiler um, at the OG Fantasy and uh, you're going to find me with Alan uh, every That's right. week Sonic, Sonic Truth Dynasty Podcast, which is just going to be fire. We're going to have some fun. You can follow me at Alan Zislowski. Of course, follow at Rotowire for all of our news and notes and all that stuff. And if you're listening to this on the video, uh, check out the audio stream once I post this up uh, by the time you're you're seeing this. Because at the end of this podcast, I'm going to tag on a little conversation that I had with our Rotowire president, Peter Shanky, about the role of, of RSNs, regional sports networks, 
and their role and how their that whole model is going away, meaning that uh, you may not be able to watch your local teams the same way that you always have. So that's coming up right after this conversation with Theo. All right, Theo, thanks for, for being here. And remember, everybody, follow me at the OG Fantasy. And if you have any questions about any of the topics we talked about today, Theo's DMs are always open. My DMs are always open. Good luck in your dynasty leagues and start that trading. All right, Theo, thanks again. That was great conversation on Dynasty running backs. But as promised, coming up next is Rotowire president Peter Shanky and our conversations on regional sports networks and how the changes to that model may impact the way that you consume your local teams for basketball, for NHL, and for baseball. I'm Alan Soslowski here with Peter Shanky, founder and president of Rotowire. In addition to building Rotowire as one of the pillar companies in the fantasy sports space, Peter has been on the forefront of fighting for the DFS community a few years back when that industry was under attack. Peter is here today to explain and untangle another developing situation that could affect how you watch your favorite local baseball teams, NBA teams, and NHL teams. Peter, thanks for joining us. I want to start just explain to everybody what the regional sports networks RSN model is and why it's been important to sports viewing over the last two decades plus. Well, it's really been a way for the sports industry to make a lot of money off the casual sports fan or fans that didn't even know that they were buying and paying for sports, right? So then you bought cable before and you had ESPN on there and you got to have the, the channel for your local teams. You got to have it. You know, for the hardcore fans, you know, you didn't, you know, you had to have it, right? But even the casual fans, you wanted to have Big Ten Network or the the local regional sports channel that had the Brewers or the Mariners, so that when your uncle or your friends came over, they could watch the game, even if you never watched the game. Uh, and and you paid one large cable bill, and there was no breakdown to figure out how much that sports was, you know, the sports cost was. And eventually, that just got so bloated, it made and it was one of the big reasons that cable got expensive, and that really started making people, you know go to other services when, when you could pay a la carte for streaming. And it's really just popped this sports bubble. And, you know, what's happened is there's one company, Diamond Sports Group. They bought all the regional sports networks from Fox, which is most of the teams, about 45 teams between hockey, baseball, and basketball. And they paid $10 billion, $10.6 billion in 2019, which at the time I thought was kind of crazy. You know, they're buying this business that's going to seem like it's going down. For a lot of money, they took $8 billion in debt in order to do the purchase. And here we are a little less than four years later, and it's really not going that well, right? They're about to go into bankruptcy. Um, there's another company that also has uh, owns a bunch of sports, uh, uh, you know, regional sports networks as well. You're talking about like Sinclair? They're about to go into, you know, they said they're about to go into bankruptcy too. So the whole thing is up in the air, and we're not really sure how it's going to break down in the short term for you, the consumer the leagues have said, at least baseball, they're just going to continue to, you know, while it's in bankruptcy, it's just everything's normal, right? Everything just goes as is. So maybe this season or into the season will be fine, but then kind of all bets are off. Yeah. Just to get everyone up to speed. So again, you've been, uh, you've probably been watching your local team on your local, you know, on your local sports network. And the NFL doesn't do this because all NFL games are basically national. So the model is, is not the same. Uh, and as most people, you know, can imagine is that, uh, interest in baseball, hockey, and basketball is mostly localized. Of course, there's national games on on Turner and ESPN and all of this, uh, let's call it chaos was sparked by the, the companies that uh, own most of these RSNs uh, missing a $140 million uh, 
uh, payment or interest payment on, on the on the debt. So just in plain English for the just for someone who might be can you untangle that in like layman's terms? Basically, uh, people aren't subscribing to cable anymore and the rights holders for baseball and football, sorry, baseball, basketball and, and hockey basically counting all these payments from the cable subscriptions to pay for their, you know, the money that they paid to gain the rights for those. And that's imploding, right? They're just not getting enough money from subscriptions anymore to pay for the rights fees. So it's all falling apart. So they're going back to the leagues, but essentially saying we can't afford it anymore. You know, it's, it's bankruptcy. It's a bunch of stuff and the leagues have to figure out what to do. But the bigger problem for the leagues, you know, is how it's, it's a dilemma for the leagues because how do they make up that revenue gap? That was a lot of money that they're going to make that they made before a lot of it from non-sports fans who are buying cable. And so what do they do? Do they have their own, you know, over the, you know, you know, over the, through streaming, you know, service and charge a lot of money for it. Do they, you know, have some other sort of subscription service, you know, to their thing, you know, like you saw MLS go with Apple. Um, They also have a problem that, you know, it's good to have your sport be on free TV or the largest audience possible. It helps build the sport, build interest. So, you know, you have to, you have to balance that too. And I don't think they've really figured it out in one way or the other, um, other than the short term, they said, we're just going to continue to run things as normal until we sort of, you know, figure, figure out this bankruptcy and the whole process. But it's kind of open question what's going to happen. So is there any threat that, for example, New York fans won't be able to see the Knicks or, you know, Seattle fans won't be able to see the Mariners, as you said before? Is there any threat where if it goes away that people could miss seeing games? I don't think so, um, just because everyone loses money in that, in that chance. I think what's going to happen is it could go to a streaming service and you've seen some regional sports networks uh, say that they're going to go that way and it might be really expensive. So you might have to buy a 30, $50 a month, you know, subscription to just to see the Knicks, you know, just the Knicks, right. Mm. Would you pay for that? I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's a market for that. Maybe there's a price for it. We'll have to see, but that's probably like the worst case scenario is that you live in some, you know, area and you have to buy another, yet another streaming service and it costs a lot of money per month, you know, just for one or two teams. That's probably like the worst case scenario for you as a consumer. Um, not being able to see the games at all is probably, you know, not going to happen. Um, now for baseball or basketball, you know, are they actually going to make enough revenue that way that if they have a Knicks only streaming service and that's the only way you can get the games and they're going to charge a lot of money per month, you know, does that really do it for them, you know, in terms of both revenue and reach for audience and all that kind of stuff. That's, I'm not sure, but something will be out there. It just might cost a lot of money. So a lot of this, these revenue streams as league fee, as you know, licensing fees goes up and all of this revenue that the leagues take in, that all goes towards the, you know, the, the total gross revenue or the salary cap. Is there a possible situation where they would just want to keep it on air to keep, you know, even casual fans? Because, yes, the hardcore fans will pay the $35 a month or whatever it is to see their local team. But most people aren't hardcore fans. You know, most of that audience is probably casual fans that love it, but may not be willing to have a take on another subscription service. So is there a situation here where maybe the salary cap lowers and that lowers the average salary in some of those leagues? I mean, that's possible. I don't think it would go that way just because it's hard to see the players and everything like that going backwards. Um, sure, they could put it over over the air, probably make less money, you know, um, and just but then have it more visible and have, you know, have it out there. You know, they're probably going to do some combo where they do a deal where it's on the air for some games and, you know, most of the games, the, the you know, the, during the week games, 
you know, or, or you know, or you know, five games a week are on cable, and you know, or sorry, on a streaming service, and two games are like over the air on lo- on the local TV or something like that. That seems like definitely kind of a good combo possibility to sort of keep it in the public eye, but yet you know, make money off the the, the vast majority of games that they have. Um, that that's that's how I would guess it'll work out. But it all it's all rights fees, right? Because you're still going to want some money from that local um, you know company that's broadcasting. Um, and so that's where, you know, that's where it comes down to, you know, uh, to money. Um, but like I said, it, you know, no one really knows how it's going to work. And my guess is there's going to be a year or two of, you know, each team doing something different, each market being different and baseball doing something different than basketball. And it'll probably take a couple of years before it settles. And then I think what'll probably end up happening is it'll probably all go back to being bundled again, where, you know, you buy one <laughs> right back where we started. and you get them all. Cause you know, at the end of the day, while, you know, a la carte is great. Um, people also, I think we'll see, we'll see, yeah, you know, there was some upside and just, but, you know, just buying one service that had everything. So, you know, that could happen as well. So we'll see. I mean, like MLS, you got to look what they did. They put all of their games on Apple TV. Um, there's no other way to get it. Is that, you know, is that good? I mean, they made a lot of money or for them, you know, a decent amount of money, but you know, the visibility of the product is going to be pretty low because no one's going to just haphazardly or serendipitously, uh, you know, watch the, watch the, watch the programming. So maybe in the long run, it hurts them, but in the short term, you know, there's tech money there. We saw that the NFL, they took YouTube, YouTube for the red zone package. I'm sure, you know, baseball and NBA could do the same thing. They just have to balance that. Um, we'll have to see each league might go a different path and, you know, some might work and some might not. It's going to be very, some might not work. It's going to be very interesting. Yeah. We had just mentioned a few minutes ago that the NFL doesn't do this because the owner in smaller markets or medium markets like Green Bay gets the same piece of the revenue share as the New York Jets. Or yeah, it's Giants. also, but it's also, that's, I mean, that's, that's part of it, but also it's also, you know, they only have, you know, between the postseason and maybe some preseason games on TV, like, you know, 275, 300 games a year. So it's just a very different product. It's once per week, right? So, you know, whereas baseball, which has, you know, each team has, you know, two, you know, has half as many games. I mean, there's like so many more games, same with basketball. So it's just a different, different animal in terms of TV rights. If baseball just had one game a week, they'd probably have a similar type system, right? So it's what, what you do with all the games in the week, um, you know, that the matter here. And, and there's a market out there. We'll see how robust it is for people that will pay to see every game. I mean, I'm certainly for like the Minnesota twins, my favorite team, as you can see behind me, um, you know, I will pay a lot of money. You know, there's some point, there's some limit, but it's probably pretty high that I will see every game. And so, um, you know, if there's, if there's a package, you know, in market, um, then to, to have to pay for that, you know, I would pay for it. Your baseball roots also have been, you know, we're in a demographic that likes to watch whole games. I mean, there's a lot, there's a huge sector, a younger audience that doesn't mind just seeing the best three plays on TikTok or on Instagram. And that's good enough. You know, I mean, they, they don't mind seeing the results. Now, of course, if there is a, you know, like a, a, an unusual game, like that basketball game the other day that had 176, 175, people will want to watch that. But even then they may just watch the clip. So is it possible as the you know, as a new generation of baseball fans are there, that that maybe that this is just the new way that how people like to consume the product. Yeah, I and mean, that's true. I mean, they could have a mix again where they took a sliver of the customers like myself that will pay a lot of money to see every game, and then they could also figure out a way to maybe monetize highlights or shorter versions or something like that that a younger generation would appreciate more. Um, there's not a real model there for that but you know that's not to say that something like that couldn't emerge but um you know th- th- like i said there's a lot of things they have to balance there was easy money for a long time from cable tv where mm-hmm. 
you know, they just charged a, a mass number of people for their product. And a lot of them didn't even realize they're paying it. And those days are gone. So they're going to have to, they're going to put the, put this back together in the short term. Maybe it means less money for the leagues. Um, maybe it means some labor strife. I don't think that's going to be the case. Um, but you never know. So certainly the owners will probably use it as a reason to cry poor and, uh, you know, and keep salaries down in, in their leagues. Uh, we've already seen baseball sort of do that with this economic commission that the commissioner has just come out and said that he's going to do, um, you know, but in the long run, they're all making a ton of money, you know, and so, so I don't think that uh, whatever short-term hit they take from the new business model uh, is really going to have a huge, huge detriment to the sport. Yeah. You mentioned streamers earlier and even the NFL who by all measures of success and, and public relations that they put out uh, the Amazon Thursday night was a success, but it also was a smaller audience than their broadcast audience. I mean, it could grow over time. So I mean, it's, it just seems like what you're saying is that they're going to have to either decide do they want to keep it, uh, keep the, the large audience or they're going to want to keep the financials high. And I guess really my last question for you is, well, two-parter. One, which streamer do you think is the most likely to take on um, major league you know, sports, whether it's baseball, foot, uh, not football, baseball, hockey, or NBA? And also just a prediction, how do you think this is going to play out over the next one year and five years? You know, I don't think the streaming services, the big tech companies have a lot of appetite for the smaller markets, the stuff that's, you know, really for the individual markets as opposed to the big national stuff. Because they, they want people, you know, Amazon bought the NFL because they want you to have to have, you know, you have an Amazon username and password and be in their system and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if like having, you know, the Cleveland Cavaliers or, you know, quite accomplishes the same thing. Maybe it does. So my guess is that, you know, you're going to see all these regional sport networks just become their own streaming service that has a high cost per month and the leagues figure out some other deals just to get some of their product on sort of a freer medium. That's more, that has more appeal. Um, you know, you know, and so that's, that's the combo I think that you'll see out of this. Um, but like I said, I think each league might take a different route. You know, you might see somebody like MLS, like maybe the NBA just takes the money from a tech company and loses a little bit of visit, a little bit of visibility for a while. Maybe MLB does it itself. They have their own technology in this area. They're kind of ahead of the curve on that, or at least they were, um, you know, maybe the NHL, you know, that wants to be more visible and, you know, does a, it does a deal with a, more of a cable network or whatever. So that it's more free, but that's, a, that's kind of like what, uh, what I would predict for each three of them. Um, but like I said, really, uh, it's just, uh, I don't think a- anyone really has a good read on it. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. All right, everybody. That's it. Thank you, Peter Shanky, for joining us. And each week on the Rotowire Dynasty Fantasy Football Podcast, look for our short segment addressing various topics in the business of sports, pop culture, and a lot of other topics. We'll see you next week with a new episode. Came up on the Esplanade I knew I had to get to the whiskey bar